the most important thing to train young children in today, I firmly believe, is to expose them to failure and to bring them through the journey of failing, what it means to fail, um, reflecting on failure, identifying the reason for failure, fixing it and coming back and winning again. Welcome to the Train With Sand podcast. Where our goal is to help you look, feel, and perform like an athlete. In each episode, we're interviewing experts in training, nutrition, and sports performance. Who will help you separate fact from fiction in the fitness industry. Now, here's your host, a former professional athlete, certified personal trainer, and nutrition coach, Sand Barksdale. Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome back to the Train with Zan podcast. My name is Zan Barksdale. I'm your host. Thank you so much for checking out the show. Uh, it really means a lot that you would spend your time and check this out. Have a great show lined up for you today. It's hard to believe that we're already on episode number four. Uh, we've had a few great guests already. The guest on today's show is no exception. Uh, he has a, a phenomenal insight. He works with high-level professional and elite coaches and athletes. Uh, so has some very interesting insight. Uh, excited to get into that conversation with him. I think you'll definitely learn something and walk away with a few tips that you can apply to your life. On a side note, all this, all the show notes, the links, and the timestamps are on the website. Since this is episode number four, you can find them at trainwithzan.com forward slash zero zero four. Again, you'll find all the show notes, links, timestamps, everything that's important will be on the website right there. And while you're there, why don't you go ahead and enter your email address so that I can give you updates and notify you whenever we have new articles, videos, and podcasts that are released. That way you're sure not to miss anything uh, when we release new content. But again, thank you so much for stopping by and listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation as much as I did. Let's, let's get this party started in three, two, one. Hey guys, welcome back. Really excited for our next guest. Uh, the guy we're going to speak with today is known as one of the world's leading experts in team and human performance. Uh, he's also the author of two fantastic books, which I've purchased both of them. Uh, the first one is Game Changer, which I would consider that a textbook that literally lays out a blueprint for coaches uh, and outlines his holistic training philosophy for winning in all team sports. And the second one is 59 Lessons, which we'll discuss in length today, where he shares practical insights and actionable takeaways. Uh, from working with some of the world's elite individuals in all aspects of life. Uh, as far as I know, I believe he's the only coach to have worked full-time in every major league uh, market around the world. He has experience working and consulting with teams in the NFL, NBA, English Premier League soccer, uh, international rugby and cricket, Gaelic uh, football as well, and also elite special forces um, he uses an evidence-based method that com combines psychology, philosophy, history, uh, and kind of merges them all together to his own unique style. So with that said, I'd like to welcome Dr. Fergus Connolly. Zan, thank you very much for having me. Well, thank you very much for coming on. I, I would like to go ahead and start by saying I am jealous of what you do. For, for as long as I can remember, I have just been infatuated 
with people who perform at an elite level, whether it be uh, Michael Jordan and the Bulls in the 90s, or more recently Tom Brady and the Patriots, or uh, Tiger Woods in his heyday, people who just have elite performances and are able to sustain elite performances over a long period of time just infatuate me. I know you've worked with a lot of uh, people in similar situations, so I'm really looking forward to getting your insights. Um, but, but if you don't mind, let's kind of backtrack before we get into all that. H- how did you get to be able to do what you do now? Well, you you just answered it. Um, what you described is exactly the passion or the interest that, that I had. I was just growing up in Ireland. Um, you know, at our house at home, we would have books or you would hear your father speaking to friends who would come to the house about great athletes, high achievers, people who did great things. And it just like a child, you know, you just listen to these stories in awe and you're going like, how do they do that? And, um, you know, my my parents, you know, met, lived, got married in, in, in the U.S. So we had a lot of friends who would, you know, bring back or send me um, books about like, I mean, about Michael Jordan. Like, I mean, I didn't know who this guy was at all. And, you know, as a kid, you're growing up and you then you, you start to stay up late to watch the Bulls. And, you know, you can't help but be inspired by the Tiger Woods, the Michael Jordans, the Tom Brady's, um, you know, the, the even going back to the, you know, to the Iversons and um, the Clyde Drexlers and then the competitions between these um, great players and just fascinated in trying to understand how great people, mostly in team sports, how they achieve that greatness. And that was, you know, that just inspired a passion, I guess, in, first of all, trying to understand what they did. And then you made the, you know, you used the phrase, how, how do they sustain it? Um, and then trying to understand the why behind that. And, um, but in Ireland, you know, most sport is amateur, and it, it's a really cultural thing. Um, it's not really an industry in the same way as a lot of countries. So I never saw a career in sport. Um, it was my passion. Uh, I followed my father's footsteps, became, <clears throat> became a teacher. But while I was at university, you know, I found the sports section, the physiology section. So um, I would spend as much time there reading and studying and just fascinated um, to learn more and to understand. And I stayed on. I did a master's in manufacturing. I did, I did a PhD in computer optimization. But that was just to to be really honest with your listeners, just to, to allow myself to stay on at university so I could keep reading, learning more. And also, I would use my vacation time then to just travel and visit coaches and just learn from them. And it was, it's just a passion. It's just a hobby that I ended up, um, eventually on one of my trips to a soccer club, uh, they were making a change in staff and they said, wow, you, you know, you've, you've got a lot of insight. You've got a lot of passion from just learning over the years. We've a, an opportunity here. Would you be interested? And I don't know, it's almost 15, 20 years ago, I took a career break from teaching and, um, started working as a sports scientist, strength and conditioning coach with a soccer club. And um, <laughs> I've never gone back. And that, that's honestly that's honestly it. It's, there's no 
there was no formula, you know. Um, and yeah, then just over the years, um, just followed followed my passion. And one of the things that somebody told me early on was, so I never really got pigeonholed into a sport um, because I, I started to see the similarities and I realized, okay, I'm early in this career and I can learn a lot from visiting different sports. So every opportunity I got, I, I tried to change sport purposely. A lot of people do it the opposite way. They, they try and specialize in a sport, just the same way as we specialize with kids very early. But I saw a lot of value in going from one sport to another, seeing the differences, seeing the similarities, and learning. It's very uncomfortable, but learning a lot um, from each of the different sports that, uh, that I got the opportunity to work in. I think that's really interesting. I know I like to read a fair amount. I like to watch documentaries. I like to study, uh, like we talked about, people who just you know are, are excellent in in any aspect of life, really. Uh, and I le- I read a lot of business books. I read a lot of biographies. And it's mm-hmm. it's funny how much you can learn from someone in one area and apply it to another area of life. So whether you're reading a business or a management book, how that applies uh, to sport. And I think it's a really interesting comment you said that you didn't pigeon your hold yourself in one sport, but you can learn from a lot of different ones. Um, and you visited different coaches and, and different teams and different sports, and you've kind of built a philosophy around that. So that's, that's an interesting comment. Yeah. I think we, you know, in society, we, we, there is a lot of comfort when you stay in one space because you obviously become better at it and you know it, and there's a comfort factor, but sometimes we forget or don't see or miss the value in going outside of our comfort comfort zone so yes reading um you know reading books in in business and in history and um in all areas outside of our particular field um we can learn a lot now you have to have um like a an awareness or an openness or people refer to it as a growth mindset perhaps but simply just being aware of the fact that we can always learn from somebody else. And I think that's a humility factor. Um, but I think when you, know, when you have that approach and mindset, um, you can pick up a lot of different clues and insights from different areas and, uh, and fields that you can apply then back to your area that, of expertise. I think it's really funny you mentioned that again, too. Uh, one thing that I've noticed is a guy who came up coaching baseball and as a young coach uh, was introduced and was around some some really respected and really, really successful coaches in the game. Um, I was amazed at how when I would speak to them, they would ask me more questions than I would ask them because they were just interested to learn. I was a, a young coach who who didn't have a whole lot of, uh, you know, success under his belt, so to speak. But here, here we are with these very – uh, acclaimed coaches and they're asking young guys with an open mind and they just they want to learn um, in any way they can so I think that's one thing that's really important to be successful in, in any area of life whether it be a team sport individual sport uh, or a personal passion or hobby uh, it's just being open-minded and being willing to learn and, and having a growth mindset like you spoke about absolutely and I think you know like we have a mutual friend Brian Eisenberg who's been a huge help and um, there's people like uh, Jerry Weinstein and you know, lots of different coaches who've, um, in you know, in the baseball world, who you know have reached out to me, and I'm 
you know, you're always humbled when people ask you for your thoughts or your opinions, but there's so much to learn um, from those people. And I often say that the people who are most interesting are those people who are most interested. So when you sit down with someone who, you know, is interested in lots of different things, they're the ones that I find most fascinating um, because they've got different perspectives. They see things differently. And um, I think one of the challenges in society, in education and in coaching is that we look for, you know, for a formula. And so if you've got a, if you have a class of people or a group of people and you're teaching them uh, something, we, we tend to teach them the very same things, the very same way to think. And everybody comes up with the same solutions. Um, I'm more interested in the person who comes up with, you know, completely different ideas and really exciting ways to solve problems. Um, and everything's changing all of the time. So the kids that we're dealing with now are, you know, they, they have had a different exposure in terms of learning, social media, you know, just social interaction than you and I did coming up. So we're dealing with different kids. We can't prepare them in the way that we were brought up um, and in the same styles. So we have to be constantly looking for new ways to uh, communicate with them, connect with them, understand the challenges they face. Um, like uh, I'm 41 now, you know, I, I didn't have exposure to Twitter growing up. I didn't have to deal <laughs> with the challenges that many of these kids have, like with cyberbullying and whatever and you know the, all of these kinds of things are a challenge for them um and i you know we need to understand it we just can't be critical of them we need to try and understand you know the challenges that they face and so that we can uh, empathize not sympathize but empathize with them and and help develop them and create you know we're really treating or sorry we're really coaching people first and then athletes second and I know that's one of the things you mentioned in your in both your books, I believe, a number of times, um, which is a great segue to talk about your books. I, I'd like to briefly talk about Game Changer uh, first, which, like I mentioned earlier before we got on air, I was telling you, when I purchased the book and it came in the mail through Amazon, I was absolutely blown away how much information is in it. It is literally a textbook uh, that covers every situation a coach might need to encounter at some point. Um, it covers everything from the game, the player, the preparation, uh, different coaching styles and philosophies. Uh, it, it's a book that I would go ahead and recommend to all the coaches out there listening to pick up. Uh, and I'll put a link in the show notes below so people can find it, but it's definitely on Amazon and, and you can probably buy it on your website as well, which I'll also link to that. Um, but, but would you mind go ahead and tell me before we get to 59 lessons, just kind of give me your take on game changer. I've kind of told you briefly what I thought about it and how impressed I was, but how, how did that book come to be? And what was your purpose of writing the book? Well, thank you for the kind words, Dan. I over coaching from you know. So I started in soccer. I, I coached in in rugby and you know college football, NFL, whatever, and all of the different sports. Um, when you move from one sport to another, it's very uncomfortable. So you don't know anything about the sport. You're out of your comfort zone, and you know sometimes it can be intimidating. However, I started to notice similarities between the different sports and over the years I had a series of like black notebooks that I would write things in and just to help formulate you know and sketch things just to formulate my thoughts and I realized that 
the athlete doesn't change. We're still dealing with the same person. So psychologically, they all have the same fears and concerns. And then physically, they're all the same. <clears throat> it's like keys on a piano. Um, you know, even within the sport, um, like so take football as a just a, a very good example. You know, depending on the position, they all need to be strong. Just some need to be stronger. They all need to be fast, some, but there's just a different requirement. So it's keys on a piano. You need all of the qualities. If you don't have them, um, you know, you, you, they're going to suffer, but some keys need to be played more, etc. So the preparation of the athlete physically is going to be the same. And then skill development has the same requirements. Even though it's a different specific skill, how you teach it is always the same. Like the athlete needs to be exposed to the skill. There needs to be repetition. There needs to be a little bit of variability. So, okay, so developing the skill was the same. And then tactically, um, things like positioning, um, awareness of positioning, how you interact with your teammates. So what I started to realize was that the the development of the athlete in every single team sport was actually the exact same and except for there were some specifics that were individual to the sport and then the most important aspect was the health of the athlete that was the underpinning thing so when you go back to a to a jordan to a to a brady the athletes who could sustain long careers they had a number of factors but really at the core of it were they were all generally very healthy athletes you know they looked after themselves um you know they looked after themselves well sure they you know from time to time you know michael jordan smoke a cigar but he's generally a healthy athlete um so i over the years realized there were key principles behind the success of team sport players and within the teams and um i wanted to share those ideas in a book but I wanted my way of thinking because I hadn't come through the traditional coaching pathway or hadn't been a kinesiologist or a, you know traditional strength coach um, the way that I looked at things was very different to a lot of coaches so I wanted, wanted to put all of these ideas and different and present it in a different way not as a gospel I don't want a cult following or I'm, I'm not saying I'm the best or anything like that I wanted to write a book that would make people think differently. That's my sole goal. I don't care if people, you know, love it or, or don't like it. But if the only thing it does is make you think about your sport differently, that's going to make you a better coach. That's really, that was the goal um, of it was to present team sport preparation in the way that I truly believe it should be. But even at that, if, it, if you don't agree, if it simply makes you think differently, then I've, then I've achieved my goal. Yeah, I think that's a great attitude to take towards it. Uh, I, I will say, though, just, just from reading your book, and I've actually got it in front of me right now, I'm amazed how well-versed you are in so many different areas. You talked about health. Um, you know, you go very deep into the, to the nervous system, to the musculature, to the training, uh, to the periodization of training. I mean, every topic is, is really covered in this. Um, I, I can't imagine how much research and how many years you put into this, but, but again, well done job. Uh, very fantastic. Definitely recommend it to all the coaches out there who work with a team sport, um, or anyone that's just interested in, uh, team building or performance, whether that's someone that, that runs a management team in an organization. Organization, uh, or, or works in a, in a business for themselves. Definitely a lot of very, very good principles in that book as well. 
Well, just well, one, one of the things on as well is when you know, as we're coaching, it doesn't matter what area it is, or you know, whether it's with the military or whatever. Um, you can get all of the physical things right. That's the first thing we focus on: strength, speed, or whatever. And then you don't win. So then you you sit back and you go, okay, why do we not win? And you realize, okay, it looks to be like a psychological thing. So I never felt that I couldn't read or study about those areas. For me, it was always, okay, what does it take to win? And so it's it's not work for me to go and study or to try and, I, I would find that exciting like most coaches do. And, <coughs> excuse me, so a lot of, by looking at and investigating these different areas, um, I was just always looking for, it's like, I use the example of CSI, um, you know, something has happened, so you've lost a game or you haven't played as well. So like, it's like adopting the, the CSI ad- approach. Well, let's look at all the clues. Let's figure out why we didn't win and let's investigate the area that we think it is. And that's just how the book came about. It, it was, you know, I never sat down and said, these are the 200 or 250 things I really need to study. It was just over the years, like I've worked with teams that have been physically incredibly fit, but we still didn't win. So why, 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 even though we're fit or why couldn't we win? So then that brought me into perhaps psychology or teams that were, we were very strong, but we're getting injured. Okay, well, it has to be injury prevention. Let's look at that. And I think the best coaches are the ones who are, again, the most interested, the most curious and behind all of that is just a huge passion for helping, you know, coach our athletes to win. That's really where it comes from. Very good. Uh, like you said there, I could imagine there probably are 225 points or so in game changer, <laughs> uh, which again is another great segue, which leads us into your next book, 59 lessons, which I want to spend a little bit more time on today, uh, and kind of dive into. And in some ways the book is similar where, you, you take what you've learned about all these different areas and you combine them into a, a few different uh, subcategories, whether it be winning habits or technology and communication, uh, teamwork and culture, um, you know, humility and people uh, and so on and so forth. Um, but, but what you've done with this one, it seems to me, is you take a, a very specific idea or topic um, and you explain it and you tell a story about it. And, and the book is written into, you know, 59 very short chapters, which make it easy to read, uh, even though it's probably 350 or 400 pages. I don't remember off the top of my head, um, but it was very easy to read, very easy to get through, very entertaining as well as informative. Um, but But it seems like the 59 lessons are things that you've kind of taken from game changer and made them even more digestible, uh, for someone who may not want to necessarily go through the textbook of game changer. Uh, somebody just is maybe more casual reader or may reach a more mainstream audience. Yeah, exactly. As I was writing game changer, all of these stories and anecdotes would, would come to me and I, you know, I stored them to one side and I, I wanted to give the reader well there were a few things first of all i wanted to thank a lot of people and um like the book is not a book of name dropping it's more i wanted to thank all of these great people that i had the opportunity to learn under and you know nobody does anything in life without learning from and being helped by you know in our industry coaches or parents or um people who help us along the way so it was a way as well to um, thank them. Also, you know, 
everything I've learned, I've learned from somebody else. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm not a genius or anything. It's, um, and I think we, uh, I think it's important to give credit to the people that we learn the lessons from. Um, and I, I wanted to present them, you know, in an anecdotal, in a, in a story way so that I could also pass on some of the, the great lessons I learned from great people to the next generation coming through. And in coaching, there are a lot of myths. There are a lot of, um, I think, things that we forget. Like, you I mean, you know, humility is very important, I think, in sport to, to be able to maintain a long career. I think technology, as you know, particularly in baseball at the minute, there's been an explosion in it. But, you know, is it really having an impact or how do we use it? Um, strength, speed, fitness sometimes is overemphasized. So the book really um, was a way to uh, dispel a lot of myths that we have in, in coaching and in sport and to do it in a practical, real-world evidence-based way to show, okay, I'm not just saying this, I'm not just making it up. Here's an example um, from my career that I've learned, and this is why I believe, you know, this or, or, or that. And um, so that was the, the purpose behind it. Um, and also to expose people to many different sports from around the world that you might not be exposed to if you're just a football coach or just, just a basketball coach. And it was interesting, when I wrote Game Changer, um, as you know, I, I've never referenced baseball actually in the book because I, I ne- this one sport I've never coached in. But the number of baseball coaches who reached out to me just blew me away. And coaches who had read it, and I was very, very impressed by um, the hunger and interest in baseball coaches as a whole to get better. That surprised me um, just as a, you know, as a community. There are a lot of baseball coaches out there who really like to take in information. And earlier you mentioned a mutual friend of ours, Jerry Weinstein. He, uh, he speaks at my conference every year. And every year I ask, I ask the same group of speakers, hey, what book can you recommend this year? And I think last year he was in the middle of reading your book, or maybe he had just finished it, and he just kept going on and on about it. And I, I believe every time I saw him tweet for about two or three weeks, it was <laughs> it was a picture or a quote from your book. So uh, he's a great example of one of those guys, but I know there's a lot of other guys as well. So it's but, nice. but he's Yeah, but, you know, this is a guy who, um, you know, respectfully, like he's a mature coach. You know, this isn't a young coach. This is a guy who has learned and forgotten more than both of us together. And he's still passionate about learning. And he's still humble enough to, you know, to refer to other people, perhaps, or things that he's picked up. That's inspiring. I think it's a great example for coaches, um, you know, that you you can always keep learning. Um, And, uh, yeah, just it's great to see coaches like that. Well, yeah, he, he's definitely a great example of that. He's always, uh, always trying to continue his learning, continue his education, uh, and also sharing what he's learned with the masses, which is which is really nice to see. Um, so, so with that said, you know, we've kind of talked about both your books a little bit. Like I mentioned earlier, there there are a number of lessons uh, that really just hit a chord with me. Uh, obviously, I thought all of them were very good. They're all practical and applicable uh, that people can can gain benefit from. But there were there were eight or nine, and I'd like to discuss a few of those with you first and kind of just get your thoughts and, and maybe have you expand on them. Uh, the, the first one I'd kind of like to talk about is you, you say you can't be half pregnant. Uh, 
part, <laughs> part, and, and again, I love the way you word it, but, but what you mean is you say part-time training gets part-time results. And I feel like in today's society, whether it be sports or uh, people, you know, trying to start an entrepreneurial uh, venture, whatever it is, there's a lot of people who don't necessarily go all in. Maybe they think they're going all in, but they're not really doing what it's taken in their, you know, half pregnant, so to speak. Uh, but, but I'd love for you just to kind of expand on that. No, exactly. I think that you you have to be committed to to the process. Now, um, there's a you know there's always a balance. That doesn't mean that you become obsessed twenty four seven about it, because there's a danger there too. But when you're there, when you're present, and you're training, you need to be fully committed to it. And it's very important. It's not like it's not a throwaway phrase. It means that. If you're not fully invested, particularly as a as a player, as an athlete, you're not picking up all of the information that's available to you in that moment. Um, you know, you need to commit fully so that you can learn as much as possible. And this is why kids, when they're playing the sport at a very young age and they're just playing with their friends and they're completely immersed in it, and they believe, you know, that uh, you know, they're at the garden, they're playing for the Celtics or whatever it might be. They surround, they create this artificial atmosphere and they're learning so much about the game or they're talking to each other or they're putting themselves under pressure. That's actually making them better players. And as you get older and older, you have to, um, particularly in practice, you need to be fully committed. You need to absorb the pressure, even if it's just in practice. Because on game day, when real practice, when real pressure comes on you, um, then you're prepared to some degree. So it's being you. You have to be, you know, fully committed um, to practice. Now, also when you're off, you need to be fully committed to that to rest and recover and take time off. So that the next time you turn up again, you can be fully committed to to that. And um, like you said as well, you know, some people think they are. Um, but you know, they're, they're not fully committed or they're not fully invested and they're not getting full value from it. So there's a little bit of honesty that's needed, um, you know, with, you know, with players and with coaches, you know, am I fully committed here because I'm not going to get a result if I'm not fully committed to the process. I think one of the things for me that you, you just mentioned, and I think the hardest aspect of that for me personally is being committed to being fully off. It's it, for me, it's, it's hard to turn the off switch, uh, on so to, it's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to flip the switch to off, I guess, sometimes, you know, I know for people who are ultra competitive, uh, a lot of the athletes I've worked with and continue to work with now. And, and I'm sure, uh, you have a number of examples where people are so almost obsessed maybe is the right word that they have a hard time taking a rest day or they have a hard time being away from the field or being away from the gym. Um, but, but I think once you kind of embrace that and understand that, you know, sometimes taking a step back and committing to your recovery and committing to your rest is going to be better for you in the long run or even the short run than, than going a hundred miles an hour all the time in the same direction. I'm so glad you brought that up because it's so, it's so true. And, um, I've seen it in so many different sports and it's interesting again, when I was working, you know, with, you know, some soccer players or some rugby players before I would look at some of the best players and, um, it would confuse me because these are guys who are far more talented than I would ever have been. But when they were off, they were completely relaxed and they were having a good time. Now here's me with lesser talent who never made it. And I'm wondering, 
these guys aren't fully committed. They're, you know, they're laughing and joking around, you know, when they're not at practice. And I'm going, if this was me, I'd be out doing extra. But at that point in my career, I hadn't appreciated the value and the benefit of being fully off. And um, and to be quite honest with you, like, I mean, I, <laughs> the last lesson I write about really is a testament to that in my own life. You know, I didn't give myself enough time out. I ended up getting burned out and, you know, make a terrible mistake in my, own, in my personal life by not bringing that lesson back as well. You know, when you've got time off as a coach, you need to take that time to unwind, to decompress, to recharge your batteries. You need to you know, when you're, and that's the great thing, you know, guys who are married or who have children, you know, when you're with your kids, you have to switch off. So there's huge benefit in really making time in your life, not just as a player, but also as a coach to switching off, getting away from it so that you bring renewed energy back to coaching. Um, and so that you can bring that enthusiasm, that love for the game back to practice or back to the game every single time you turn up. Um, and it's, again, it's, um, you know, we, we'll touch on it later when we're talking about quality and quantity, but you, you have to have that downtime so that you can bring that intensity and enthusiasm to practice when it's needed. Yeah. I just think that's something that more people can benefit from realizing and understanding that 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 is needed and it's, it's not just mandatory, but it's an important part. Um, so, so I'm glad you wrote about that. Like Mm -hmm. I said, there, there are a number of these that that really hit home with me, uh, which kind of leads us into the next topic. I'd like to talk about one of your other lessons where you say 99% healthy is not 100% injured. Um, and you say there's no difference between, uh, medical and strength and conditioning, which you kind of alluded to that earlier. Uh, I I know in, in sports, whether it be individual, I know you mainly focus on team sports, but the, the medical staff and the strength and conditioning staff, it seems in the successful areas that they're they're more merged together and they have a, a happy marriage and understanding and open communication to make sure that the athlete is getting everything they really need uh, but I'd love to hear you know more of your thoughts on that topic as well yeah there, there are two things one is that you know very often um, you know some kids will get a small injury and they'll say okay well you know I'm injured I'm injured and I can't practice well it's not a black or white thing. You might have a small niggle or a small strain, but you can still do almost everything as long as you're not causing more further pain to that injury. So that's creating that mental toughness that's needed. Um, and that needs to be managed carefully because we, you know, you, you cannot abuse a, a kid or an athlete. That's, you just don't even go there. But, you know, sometimes we have to suffer through things. Sometimes we have to um, play through a little bit of discomfort because we're going to have we're going to be asked to do that. But it's recognizing that very very rarely is it is there a case where you cannot practice, you cannot do anything. So it's just having that mindset. And then on the the strength and conditioning on the coaching side, um, we have allowed in actually more in the professional organizations silos or departments to become established where one's clearly medical and one's clearly strength and conditioning. And this really only reinforces in the player's mind that I'm either 100% healthy and I'm with the strength and conditioning staff or I'm slightly injured and I'm 100% injured now and I'm with the medical staff. Really, and you know, I've consulted for a number of teams, I would get rid of medical and strength and conditioning and I would just create a performance department in which both are working together very, very closely so that that 
there isn't a gap between both of those and the player we're optimizing the player we're preventing injuries more we're not allowing them to develop we're spotting them sooner and the return to play when somebody strains a hamstring for example that time from you know a niggle or a strain to getting back to full health becomes shorter and shorter and that really just comes down to um, simple things like ego communication and just a, a a unified commitment to a greater vision yeah so you know again I, I couldn't agree with you more i feel like people they look at it in in one of two different ways you know you're you're with the strength staff and you're you're trying to get stronger over here or you're with the medical staff and you're trying to rehab over here what what advice would you give for for maybe a coach out there who has a a particular player on his team i'm sure all coaches can think of one guy in particular who you know they have a they have a small injury and they I hate to say they blow it out of proportion, but they think they have to completely shut down and do nothing. Do you, do you have any tips or advice on, on dealing with an athlete like that? Yeah. So one of the things that, and I, again, like I said, everything I've stolen, I've stolen from somebody else, but Phil Jackson used to give, you know, books to, to all of his players at the balls. And I would, I used to buy, um, you know, they're not that expensive, but there, there are lots of little books, easy to read books on Amazon. And I would find, you know, books with anecdotes and stories, you know, for for my guys, whether it was at Michigan or the 49ers or wherever, uh, you know, about players, very often not even players in their own sport, but guys who played through injuries or not, not played through injuries per se, but who, you know, um, showed great mental resilience or were facing similar injuries or still didn't allow an injury or a niggle to stop them prevent their passion for the game for showing so i would do that on the on the player side and the other thing too is not i I learned early on that athletes are um you know self-esteem is a huge issue with very confident athletes believe it or not so directly addressing the problem sometimes is the worst way to go about it but by reinforcing the behavior in somebody else who's practicing with a bit of a niggle and praising them and encouraging them you're actually sending a message to the other athlete without actually criticizing him so those are the two two ways that i've you know that i've i've done that is give examples of tell stories or give books um or send you know articles where guys have you know, toughed through things and shown good resilience. Well, well I, really, I really like how you put, you say mental resilience. And, and a lot of times that's what it is. You know, it's, yes, there is a physical limitation, but a lot more so it's, it's the, the restrictions they put on themselves in their mind. Of, I, I just can't do this or I can't do that. And, and I feel like that's where the biggest problem comes from. Yeah. So another really important aspect to this, very, very closely related to this is that we, um, the most important thing to train young children in today, I firmly believe, is to expose them to failure and to bring them through the journey of failing, what it means to fail, um, reflecting on failure, identifying the reason for failure, fixing it, and coming back and winning again, and bringing them through that process. So very often young children now who are spotted early on as being a great talent are very successful they they come through a journey it's not an easy journey per se but it's a journey where they've been reinforced and told that they're very good and they've been successful then when they get their first injury or maybe they 
go to go to college, go to university, and now they're starting at the bottom again, or they're maybe not being picked straight away. Um, all of a sudden, this is a an exposure to failure or an exposure to um, difficulty. They don't know how to deal with it because they've never it's been a long time or they've had not had to deal with it frequently before that. And, you know, good friend of mine who, um, uh, was a trainer, one of the special operations sniper groups, you know, he would expose his guys repeatedly to failure or put them in situations where they couldn't win in order to expose them to that process of understanding how to, um, understand failure, how to overcome it, how to manage their emotions, and developing that resilience. Resilience, um, imagine it as, you know, you can drop a vase or a piece of, you know, a plate on the ground and it's just going to break and shatter and it never recovers. Resilience is like dropping something that's um, plastic or like a bouncy ball. It'll fall, but it's going to come back up. And we need to teach that contact on the ground like to create that resilience in in our young kids and also to explain to them that failure is not a bad thing once you learn from it so it's you don't win or or lose you win or learn and that reinforcing that whole process in in kids and watching out for it you know failure is a, and for coaches as well you know failure can be a really really good thing sometimes for some teams because it really highlights for them the areas that they need to work on. Um, if you choose to look at it as such, and it doesn't matter whether it's in your personal life or whether it's in coaching or whether it's as an athlete, it's seeing a loss or failure as actually opportunity to get better and to, and to build resilience. And you don't go looking for it, um, but it's reinforcing to, to kids that, look, listen, you've got an injury okay, we're going to get this better and we're going to work hard. But there's also, because you've got a little bit more downtime, um, what we're going to do is what I want you, for example, with some kids I would say, who's your favorite player or who's your, the person you look up to the most? Okay, so this injury is going to take three weeks and we're going to lose maybe 30 minutes of practice um, you know, twice a week over the next three or four weeks. What I want you to do is I want you to take those 30 minutes go on the internet or buy books. I want you to study. And at the end of this, I want you to give me a presentation on whoever it might be, whether it was A-Rod or uh, Jeter or whoever, whoever you're, you're, you're the superstar that you looked up to. I want you to give me a presentation on him, but I want you to tell me why, why he was good. And if you can get a player who played the same position, even better. And I want you to give me as much information and I want you to use this injury as an opportunity to study the best in your field and that's going to make you better. I think that's a great idea. I think I think more coaches can utilize methods like that. Uh you know, while guys maybe can't be on the practice field uh, or or out of competition where they can learn from from their heroes and the guys who do things really really well. So man, great point. I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up and spoke about that. Uh another thing that really ties right into that which is one of the other lessons that I'd like to speak on. Uh, is you say you only compete against yourself. Self-competition is critical, and you, sh you should not worry about your opponent. I feel like so many times, you, you know, you kind of talked about the mental resiliency earlier. Uh, so many times we're so worried about things that are completely outside of our control 
that we forget what is inside of our control, whether that be our attitude, our effort, um, our uh, the way we go about our business each and every day. Um, it, it seems like the guys who are focused on themselves, even in a team sports setting, I know most people probably think of that and they think of individual sports where, whether it be uh, a bodybuilding or a powerlifting or a golf, uh, you know, competing against yourself, but, but really it's, it's very true for team sports as well. So I love that you brought that up and that's something that, that I've kind of always tried to to take home and compete against myself each 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 gym session every time I work out or or no matter what I do uh, I try to be a little bit better the next time um, and I think that's that's a very very interesting topic uh, that I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about. Yeah, so this this um, lesson came about from a number of dis- different sources. Like I mean, even just in my personal life or just me myself personally, when I would fail, whether it was either coaching or in meetings or whatever you know, I would notice that it was, I wasn't living up to, you know, to my standards or I wasn't doing it. But I also noticed against great teams that, you know, I would, so whether it was the All Blacks, the New Zealand rugby team, when they would play, for example, against teams, now bear in mind, so this is, so, you know, take for example, you know, um, let's say the Bulls at their peak or the Patriots at their peak, and you're playing a team that you are expected to beat easily, that's sometimes the most difficult um, game you're going to play because there there isn't a challenge there, and you you thrive on pressure. So the these great teams, um, what they did was um, they would their only competitor was their best version of themselves. So when you're going out to play. Uh, against teams that you could beat easily and have no chance of beating you, um, they would go, okay, well, what is our best standard? Like, you I mean, what's the best that we can play? And that's what we're going to play too. Um, so the other reason for it as well is when you go out and play against a team, perhaps that you, you know, have a very, very, um, very, very little chance of beating. Well, you have to judge yourself not on the opponent, but did I play to the best of my ability? Forget about the scoreboard for a second, because if I don't play to the best of my ability, I'm definitely not going to beat the opponent. For, you know, you don't control what way they turn up to play against you. So you set your standard. You know what your um, standards are, whether it's um, you know strikes, whatever it might be, whether it's tackles, whether it's shots. You set your standard. And that's what you have to play to. And in many, many cases, um, coaches and athletes, we self-sabotage. We don't play to our best ability. We overthink it. Uh, We uh, don't show enough control or enough self-discipline, enough self-concentration. And that's why we fail. It's not because of the opponent. We allow the opponent um, to beat us. I, I really like that. Like I said, just from my experience in, in coaching baseball, that's 100% correct, where some of the most difficult days are the days when you show up to the ballpark and, and you know you're supposed to easily take care of business and, and beat whoever you're supposed to play. And a lot of times those are the days that you walk away the most frustrated as a coach because that's when you have one of the poor performances. Uh, so so very, very interesting. I really like I like your perspective on that, and I'm, I'm glad you said that. Um, I'd like to go ahead and talk about the, the next lesson, uh, that I have written down that, that really struck home with me. Uh, you say the nine most used words and they are because that's the way we've always done it. 
And, <laughs> and that's an unacceptable answer. And I feel like that applies in so many different areas, whether it be the strength and conditioning or the medical or the tactical uh, or, or anything in a personal life as well. Uh, that is absolutely correct that because that's the way we've always done it. Uh, that's not necessarily the best way to do it. And, and it, it kind of leads into being open-minded uh, and, and having that growth mindset, which again, we referenced earlier, but, but what are your thoughts on that? How'd that, how'd that lesson come to be? Yeah. Th- um, so I, I always, I'm always intrigued by people who have different backgrounds. And so one of the things in coaching now is like, you would have been coached by coaches who perhaps didn't start out in, you know, in coaching, they had a different profession. And those guys came with, whether they were firefighters, whether they were teachers, whatever, they had um, really interesting perspectives that they had learned outside of coaching. And so people coming with those disruptive mindsets or different ideas um, very often were innovators and very successful because they were taking ideas from outside of like you spoke about reading business books and getting ideas from business books well coming with new ideas and having an environment a coaching team and a group that are open to new ideas um, very often are the innovators they play the game slightly differently that throws everybody else off Um, and if you you know always do it the way everybody else is going to do it well you're only going to come second and if you look at the best team and you simply copy what they're doing without understanding the why behind it, well, you're always only going to come second to them because they're always going to be doing it. They're always going to do it better. So the secret is to study the best, understand what they do, and when you've got a good idea, try and get a little bit ahead of them. And the only way you're going to do that is by bringing in new ideas all of the time. So it's a combination, yes, study the best, understand the principles behind it, but get a, the only way you're going to get ahead of them is by coming in with new ideas and 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 as coaches we need to be humble enough to um, accept uh, you know random ideas that might come from even our players not just our coaches but sometimes the players will have really interesting ideas so um, you want a safe environment that people can be innovative and bring you know just it might even just be small suggestions where you go wow that's a that's a really really good idea I hadn't thought of that how do you feel like that relates now to the the landscape of amateur uh, athletics where, you know, kids are specializing very early? Uh, I, I guess now more than ever, there are probably more, I guess we could call them professional coaches or people who coach full time for a living. Like you said, they don't have a background as a teacher or a fireman or an insurance salesman. All they do is that they, they train kids, they work with kids. So, and again, I'm not saying they're, they're narrow minded or they have bad views, but they definitely don't have maybe as wide a range of views as maybe people used to. How do you feel like that affects kind of the current landscape of amateur sports? There are two things. I think first and foremost, um, with young, with young coaches or coaches of young athletes, is where is their passion and heart? You know, is this simply a case that the most important thing for you is that you're successful and you just want to be um, get credit, or do you really care about the kids and their long term benefit? Um, so you'll see two types of coaches. The coaches who really care, really want to develop, um, will invest the time, and they are generally more open to new ideas. And they'll evaluate everything they do. And sometimes they are prepared to sacrifice a win or a loss 
for the development of the kid or they see the bigger picture. If somebody's simply just motivated, motivated by ego, prestige or money or whatever it might be, uh, sometimes, you know, they can generally can be a little bit more narrow minded. I think the second thing is, um, in terms of coaches are those coaches who themselves want to con- continuously get better. And this is a, the specialization of sport. So just going slightly off topic for a second, years ago when we, when we started playing sport, it was a sport for sport's sake that would help develop young people for life. Today at the top end, at the elite end, the professional end, that's entertainment. It's not sport. It's an entertainment business. So the primary function is money and it's very money driven. Uh, wins and losses, I would argue, in some organizations come second to profit and loss. And that's a debate for a whole another day. But at the lower levels, you can't let that attitude filter down to the kids because we need to develop young people so that they're in a position to actually play the game well when they get to college and get to pros. That's the important thing. And in baseball, it's unique because of the pathway. I think there's more and more need to do two things in baseball. One is to develop um, the athlete as a person to establish good life skills so they can stay in the business as long as possible or stay in the career and the sport as long as possible so that they, you know, we develop their self-esteem, their maturity, good lifestyle habits, um, relationships and attachment that we help develop those and give them a good example as they're growing up and so that they can so they can sustain their career because that's where they're going to fail they're not going to fail in the sport because we already know they're good and we're coaching them well but it's the stuff off the field that is going to determine whether or not they have a very long and healthy career Um, but also in order to prevent overuse injuries and in order to um, develop them holistically it's good to allow them to play other sports, you know, um, so that they become exposed to other sports. So they pick up other cues and skills that maybe baseball just doesn't cover at a young age. You know, there's, there's, they're kids. We want them to develop as people. So that's a really important consideration. Um, you know, whether you're a parent or a coach is it's okay for them to go and play other sports because it's going to help develop perhaps footwork, vision, depth perception, um, aerobic ability. You know, kids who go swim are going to have um, possibly a a slightly better endurance. Kids who play a little bit of soccer might have slightly better footwork. Kids who uh, play basketball may have, may develop in a different, through these different exposures, a little bit um, better depth perception. That will help them develop as they grow older. And most importantly, they will still maintain the love for baseball because they will not get burned out by baseball or whatever the sport might be at a very young age. And I've always been a proponent of guys playing multiple sports uh, for, for that same reason and those same reasons you just listed. And I, I think it's it's very reassuring to hear you kind of, um, I, I guess, agree with some thoughts that I've had before and and, and confirm some things that I've thought. Uh, because I, I definitely agree there's a lot of benefit to be had from, from playing other sports, just purely from the enjoyment, being around other kids, being around other coaches as well. And yes, I, yeah, and, yeah. And, 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 yeah, you definitely learn, you know, physical skills that are different 
different, whether it be, like you said, endurance uh, from swimming or footwork and agility from soccer or whatnot. But I think I think a big aspect of it is just exposing yourself to different coaching styles, different people and different different team settings. Yeah. Well, so when you were growing up, you, you must have played other sports as well. Yeah, absolutely. I played pretty much everything growing up, baseball, basketball, football, track, uh, you know, the track, of course. Yeah, great. And and, and also you, you, you actually said it there yourself as well. The, being exposed to different coaching styles helps the athlete learn in different ways, you know, because if you've only got one coach in one sport, that's just one teaching style. We, we always talk about our coaching styles, but the, the kids are getting exposed to different learning styles as well, which is very helpful. Yeah. Very, very good. Very interesting. I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that because I feel like there's a, a lot of uh, a lot of I hate to say bad information about amateur sports, but there's a lot of things that I feel like could be changed for the better in the amateur uh, landscape right now. So, so definitely interesting, interesting perspective. Uh, you, you know, and that again, I keep using that as a segue into one of the other lessons because there are a number that I want to talk about today. But we talk about quality always defeats quantity uh, as one of the lessons you put in fifty nine uh, lessons. And you said the quality of effort and action is infinitely more important than the quantity or volume of actions. And I believe that's uh, really ties into kind of what we just spoke about. Yeah, you you, um, you have to, um, you know, I, I always say, you know, um, more isn't better, better is better. You can spend as many hours as you want out there on the on the field, but it's really to do with the quality of. And one of the things particularly important for baseball because it's such a high skill sport is understanding that one quality repetition um, is very very important, but three bad ones has an equally negative effect. And we, you know, so we're always looking for the, the one good one. But what about the three or four bad ones? So there comes a point where if you think the quality is, is suffering, shut it down, get out and go do something else. Yeah, really good point. I think there's, I think there's a lot, of, lot to be said for that. Uh, you know, I, I, one, one example I can think of is, uh, you know, you say an ounce of bad is sometimes equal to a pound of good. Uh, and, and, and that's where, you know, just because you're out there and you, you think you're putting in the work and like we talked about earlier, trying to find the, the right balance between, uh, being on and being off and taking rest time and, and being on when you're on the field. I think that kind of ties in together with that. Uh, so, so I definitely, definitely agree with that. Um, again, I, I, I don't want to rush through, but there's a couple more I want to get to, and I know your time's important. I'm not sure how much time you have with us right now, but one of the other things we spoke about, or you spoke about in your book, you said, never make a reason and excuse. And that was one of those, those phrases that as you just read it, you think, oh man, there's so many times that either myself or somebody I know you catch yourself doing that and, and you, you, you never want to do that. And you say you want to identify the difference between causes and excuses, uh, which I think is sometimes it's hard to it's hard to catch yourself doing but it's very very valuable and as a coach that's one of the jobs we have is to help players identify that yeah so there are reasons and there there are causes for things and it's important to reflect on them and see what they are but don't make it an excuse you know don't give people an easy out um so that they you know say well you know that happened and that's why it didn't okay well that's a that's a reason but let's not use it as an excuse you know the weather might be bad but it's bad for both teams so it's just making sure that you don't talk yourself out of winning 
and um, not allowing you know people like I say make excuses and complain and moan because you're never going to be successful you're never going to overcome if you adopt that attitude yeah really very very uh, very true in so many different levels so I'm glad you I'm glad you glad you wrote about that and expand on that. Uh, and again, just one more time, I want to recommend your book to people. Like I say, we're going over a number of these lessons and these are the one, just the ones that kind of hit home with me, but there are obviously 59 lessons that, that people can read about, uh, in, in many, many different areas, many different topics. So I want to encourage people to check your book out again, uh, as we move along, uh, to some of the other ones. And and that moves us right along to keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, you say you can't take your eye off the main prize and what's really important. And I feel like that's, you know, it kind of ties in with some of the other lessons you've written about in your book. Uh, but but so, so often, you know, earlier we mentioned social media and, I, you know, whether it be likes on social media or uh, just the appearance or trying to keep up with the Joneses next door, you know, trying to keep the main thing the main thing is something that a lot of people struggle with, with so many different distractions in today's world. Yeah. So, you know, you can have, like you said, on social media and getting likes and followers or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, can you play the game and can you play the game well? Um, you know, I think as coaches, I think it's very important. It's our job to be aware of all of the things that are happening, but um, we need to ensure that the the players are just focusing on the main thing that's important to them. And that's the difference. So, you know, it's our job to limit the distractions, to make sure that uh, the player can focus on what's important. Um, and we don't let them get distracted by the things. So we need to be aware of it, but we can't allow, we can't let them get carried away with or get distracted by some of the other things that are going on. Um, and that's what, that's what I mean by keeping the main thing, the main thing, because it's the result is all that's going to matter at the end of the day. Sure. You know, all the, all the things we're speaking about where you can apply them to yourselves, I think, you know, because of your role and, and what you do, it's a lot about how coaches can apply these, these principles or these lessons to their players. Um, and I want to go ahead and skip to the, to the last note that I have written down, um, where really, you know, for us to be able to give the most to our players, we have to take care of ourselves first. And, and mm -hmm. your, your last lesson or one of the last lessons was we won't really know for 20 years. Uh, and we have to understand the need to look after yourself before you can help others. And like I said, you, you've given a lot of phenomenal tips today about how coaches can, can help improve a team setting or help individual players, uh, get through an injury or, or just have personal development. Um, but it's also important to take care of yourselves. And I feel like a lot of coaches are so, so giving and so, you know, they're people persons and, and they just want so much for other people that sometimes they put themselves on the back burner. Maybe they don't spend time with their family or maybe they don't take care of their health uh, because they're so enthralled and so consumed with what they do and their team and their players. Uh, but taking care of yourself is important, uh, you know, to really be able to give your best effort. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and I, you know, I, um, I touched on it earlier. The 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 last lesson is probably the most embarrassing and vun, um, you know, uh, you know, one that I could share. But it's an important one. Uh, I think I think there are two things. I think you need to surround yourself with good people first and foremost. People that you can trust who are not going to take advantage of you or put you in a difficult position. But 
then you you have to look after yourself. You have to make sure that um, you're not overextending yourself and um, that you're um, it, because and I it was actually um, it was a seal who I'd worked with, you know, called me shortly after, you know, I got in trouble and burned out and got a DUI. And, you know, he said to me, he said the next time he said you're flying on a plane and when they're giving the uh, safety instructions, he said, take out your earphones and listen to it because if you don't put your own face mask on, uh, you know, and take care of yourself, you're not going to be able to look after everybody else. And he said, you know, for too long, he said, you're looking after people in your personal life. You're looking after kids. You're looking after coaches. You're looking after coaches, wives, your director of operations, your director of performance. You're doing all of this, looking after other people. And, but you're not looking after yourself and you know, you can give, 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 but you need to look after yourself so that you can continue to do that. And I think a lot of coaches um, who mean, who you know, we're doing it for love of the game and we're doing it because we want to help others. That's our passion. But you do have to look after yourself. And if you don't, people will take advantage of you. And um, it's really important that, um, you know, that you do that. And um, I, I learned the hard way. You know, I, I like I said, I made made a terrible mistake and but it, it's been a blessing in disguise because i've been able to help uh so many transitioning athletes transitioning military coaches who are currently in the in the industry to find that balance because the industry is becoming all consuming and it's taking up more and more of our time it's becoming more demanding but we're not going to last if we don't look after ourselves first and looking after yourself first does not make you a bad person. Yeah, I'm not sure who the quote is attributed to, but there's a quote that I've, I've read on the internet a number of times in a number of different places. It says you can't pour from an empty cup. And that really, when I read that uh, in your book, that that's kind of what I thought of. And, you know, you're true. It's 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 right. If you're not taking care of yourself, if you're not well-rested and healthy uh, in the relationships in your lives you're taking care of, you can't really provide for everyone else uh, like you need to. So of all the lessons that we spoke about, that may be, maybe i guess we could call it the most selfish so to speak but at the same time it's not the most selfish it's it's the one that's directed uh for me to be able to to really pour all of myself and everybody else i've got to be at 100 percent, and i feel like it's a lot of things that or there's a lot of coaches that really struggle with that uh because they're well-meaning and they, because they have good intentions uh they put themselves on the back burner and i know a lot of coaches who have who have had marriages that have suffered because of it you know the long hours they work and the the time they spend on the road um or or just their health um, from, from not making you know the decisions that that need to be made or they probably know they need to be made because they're spending so much time and energy focusing on everyone else around them that they just don't mm -hmm. put the uh, don't put the focus on themselves but Fergus that, yeah. that, that was a that was a phenomenal conversation uh, honestly I, I just enjoyed speaking to you I, I really enjoy what you do I've enjoyed following you online for the past couple of years I'm, I'm glad I've got both your books I, I do want to plug those again uh, I, I know guys can probably buy them on your website or on Amazon I will link them below in the show notes um, but will you go ahead and tell us where people can find you and, and what you have going on recently or what you have coming up Sure. So, um, uh, Twitter on, uh, Fergus underscore Conley at hotmail dot, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Fergus underscore Conley or Fergus Conley.com. And, um, I've got, uh, I've just finished another book actually, um, which is, uh, you know, on that last point, it's about, 
um, it's really a, a happiness handbook for high achievers because, you know, I was working, you know, 16 hour days, seven days a week. Um, and I was able to do it because I'm single. I don't have kids, but you know, after my experience, the number of coaches who called me and shared their stories, it is an epidemic and it's an epidemic that it's a silent epidemic that people don't want to talk about. Um, and basically it was, you know, stories like I had, you know, special forces guys, CEOs, NFL players, um, NBA coaches call me, NFL coaches call me and share with me stories and trauma that they had gone through that nobody knows about. Um, mine was just public, but, you know, to your point, marriages, kids suffer. Um, and it is an epidemic that we should speak about more and should be more open about. And, um, you know, that's something that I'm passionate about is helping high achievers find that balance and look after themselves so um when i get that out uh, i'll give you a call and um yeah i would love to would love to share those stories and lessons uh again for the the next generation of coaches coming through well as soon as i see you put it out on on twitter i will uh, pre-order it on amazon and then we'll schedule another call to get you back on uh c- can you say the title yet do you know what it's called is that i I, I I haven't got a t- I have a title in in mind, but I'm going to keep it. Okay. I'm going to keep it to myself. No, no problem. <laughs> I completely understand. Uh, well, again, Fergus, definitely appreciate having you on here. Appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I know you're busy. You're working with a lot of teams. You also do consulting and speaking engagements as well um, for co- corporations or other entities. Um, if somebody that wanted to reach out to you, what would be the best way to get in contact with you? Yeah, get to my my website fergusconnolly.com and um yeah look forward to look forward to speaking with people great well once again thanks again fergus definitely appreciate having you on uh very very valuable lessons you shared today uh i hope everybody that's listening to this has already added both your books to their amazon cart and they pick them up soon uh but wanted to say thank you one more time and i look forward to hopefully having you on again soon and uh, talking when you the next book comes out thank you very much for having me Thanks for listening to the Train with Zan podcast. Where our goal is to help you look, feel, and perform like an athlete. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening and follow Zan on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. The training doesn't have to stop here. For today's show notes and more information about training, nutrition, and fitness, head on over to trainwithzan.com and join the team. 